Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Forensic Files. I'm Dr. N. Today, I'd like to talk about multiple personality disorder, as it's known colloquially. Professionals now refer to it as dissociative identity disorder, though many of the case examples occurred when it was still referred to as multiple personality disorder. I will refer to it as DID for short. Many of you have probably heard of the movie Split, which many people believe to be an accurate representation of DID. It's not. Many professionals argue over whether it's actually a real thing to begin with. There are many sensationalized representations of DID in the media, mostly because we still struggle to understand the disorder. There are also instances of the disorder being used in the courtroom, both successfully and unsuccessfully as a defense. We'll cover a few case examples, but first I want to talk about what DID is. DID is one of the dissociative disorders, which are mental illnesses involving issues with memory, consciousness or awareness, identity, or perception. DID is incredibly rare, can occur at any age, and women are more likely than men to be diagnosed with it. The underlying causes of DID are theorized to stem from a history of trauma. There's a strong correlation between trauma and DID, where about 90% of DID cases involve a history of abuse. There have also been links observed to accidents, natural disasters, and war. Dissociation is believed to be a maladaptive coping mechanism that people use to remove themselves consciously from a traumatic situation or memory. Typically, people with DID have two or more distinct personalities, the core personality and alternate personalities, or what I'll call alters. Though they may experience amnesia while being controlled by an alter, there are individuals who are aware of each personality as it surfaces. One of the most intriguing cases of the DID defense is the case of Billy Milligan. Billy was arrested in 1973 for kidnapping, robbery, and the rape of three women near Ohio State University. The officer who was transporting Billy after his arrest noted that he felt like he was talking to different people at different points during the ride. One victim claimed her attacker had a German accent, though Billy was born and raised in the United States. Another one of his victims claimed Billy was incredibly nice despite the circumstances. Defense attorneys provided evidence that Billy had a history of entering trances and wandering that dated back to his time in junior high school. He also reported being abused by his stepfather growing up, which was corroborated by his mother and his siblings. During the trial, two of Billy's alters emerged to take the blame for his actions. His core personality pled not guilty by reason of insanity, and he became the first person to successfully use DID as an insanity defense. He waived his right to a jury trial, and the prosecution didn't contest the verdict given by the judge. Billy spent 11 years in a forensic psychiatric institution and was ultimately paroled. There are always people who try to game the system, who believe they are smart enough to convincingly fake mental illness in court. 
Ken Bianchi was one of those people. Ken Bianchi was responsible, along with his cousin Angelo Bueno, for the Hillside Strangler murders. They raped, tortured, and murdered 10 women in Los Angeles in the late 1970s. Ken also killed two more women in Washington state without the help of his cousin. Ken attempted to provide alibis for the murders, but all of those fell apart. He also tried to get his mother to mail an anonymous false confession to the police to try and get him off, and pressured a friend to provide an alibi for him, though the police didn't believe it. Though there was plenty of evidence that Ken was manipulative and trying to con his way into an alibi, he convinced four separate psychiatrists that he had DID and his alter was the perpetrator. This all came out when he was hypnotized by one of the psychiatrists who requested to speak with, quote, another part of Ken. The prosecution was skeptical and hired their own expert who believed Ken had faked his hypnotic state and manipulated his behavior to fit the diagnosis of DID. Under the course of their investigation, they also uncovered that Ken had stolen transcripts from a college student to set up a fake psychiatric practice. He watched the movie Sybil shortly before his psychiatric evaluation and read many psychology books about DID and case studies of DID. Ken finally admitted to faking DID and agreed to a plea deal. A more recent case of DID defense is that of Thomas Husky, who is believed to have raped and strangled four women in Knoxville, Tennessee in the early 1990s. He even confessed, though Thomas's lawyers claimed it wasn't him who confessed, but one of his alternate personalities that was beyond his control. The defense provided evidence of his alters, who had distinct vocabularies, histories, and styles, and claimed he was mentally ill. They also presented psychiatric reports for Thomas, including possible schizophrenic diagnosis and scary split personality notes from one. They argued that even if Thomas committed these acts, it was as his alter, Kyle, and that Thomas, quote, lacked substantial capacity to appreciate the wrongfulness of the acts. The jury deliberated for five days, which was the longest in Tennessee's history up to that point. The jury grappled with the decision of whether Thomas was responsible. Even if he had DID, they didn't feel like they were given adequate evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that he could not control his alter. The jury couldn't come to an agreement. They were only given two decisions, guilty or not guilty by reason of insanity, which the jury felt was a problem. They weren't given the option to recognize the illness while also holding him responsible for the crimes, or guilty but mentally ill, which would make a difference in his sentencing and treatment. Many jurors agree if they had been given that option, they would have taken it. Jurors were not given all of the information though, Surviving victims believe it was Thomas, and that he never mentioned another name or acted any differently when assaulting them. Jurors also didn't know he had previously been tried for raping three other women. 
In that trial, Thomas never claimed DID as a defense, and he was convicted, though his lawyer claims they tried to introduce the DID defense, but the judge made it too difficult. It's clear that his behaviors escalated to murder, but since the jury was not convinced, one way or another, of the DID defense, it ended in a mistrial. The court ultimately had to throw out evidence linking him to the crimes. They ruled that authorities hadn't used a legal warrant to seize items from Thomas's parents' trailer, and then they ruled the confession he gave to be coerced. Once those were thrown out, the police didn't have any evidence against him. He was never retried. All the charges were dismissed in 2005, and no one has been held accountable for the murders. Thomas is still serving his sentence for the rape and kidnapping convictions, a 64-year sentence set to end in 2056, unless he's paroled before that time. Even if you do manage to fool experts and lawyers and a judge, it would be hard to get this defense past a jury. It has rarely been successful, as many jurors believe that the person is still responsible for the actions that occur, even if they are perpetrated by an alter. Unless the alter is obviously psychotic or delusional, the jury wouldn't accept a DID as an insanity plea. Thank you for listening to episode 21. If you want to support this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the podcast. You can listen to The Forensic Files on the website at the-forensic-files.captivate.fm, which is linked in the episode notes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at the Forensic Files Pod. Please reach out if you have any questions, corrections, suggestions, or requests. The email for this podcast is theforensicfilespod at gmail.com. All episode content was researched, written, and produced by me, Dr. N. All music you hear in this episode was written and produced by me and classical composer Jeffrey Young.